Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, the second chapter? Some of you will remember the name Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Some of you will. Some of you are too young to remember who he is. But he was a, a, I guess you might say, a guru, uh, an Indian spiritualist who impacted, according to him, millions of lives. Um, Some of you will remember that there was a a big issue related to his forming uh, a colony of his own out in the Pacific Northwest. And I believe it was uh, Washington or Oregon. I I can't remember what the state was. And there was a, a real big problem because of some of the the activities that his followers had become involved in, and they they had this huge commune that they were building and so forth, and the government had to to get involved, and ultimately he was uh, removed from the country. He was sent back to to India. Um, Here is a statement he made that to me, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, this does not seem to me to be the message you want to convey. I have been misunderstood perhaps more than anyone else ever, but it has not affected me for the simple reason that there's no desire to be understood. It is their problem if they don't understand. It's not my problem. If they misunderstand, it's their problem and their misery. I'm not going to waste my sleep because millions of people are misunderstanding me. That is a spiritual leader who has perhaps embraced a philosophy of arrogance that that to me is beyond comprehension. What a contrast there is between him and the true and the living God whose desire is to let us know who he is, to reveal himself to us, and to provide for us a resource to which we can turn to know Him and a Spirit who can take that resource and teach us. Our God desires that we know Him. He wants us to know His mind. And as we've been looking over the past few weeks, as we've looked at these uh, early verses of the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the things that surfaces is this. The mind of God is in stark contrast to the way natural man thinks. And the primary demonstration of that is seen in the cross. And we've been singing about the cross all morning, and we've been studying about the cross over past weeks. And it's such a contradiction to what man would think, where man would desire to provide his own means of salvation, his own merit before a holy God. And yet, God, who is holy, has provided in the cross the only means by which sinful mankind can have a hope of eternal life and be ushered into the presence of the the holy God when man passes away. That is so contrary to the way we think. It's so contrary to the way the human reason, human wisdom would embrace God. If you look at the early verses of the second chapter, you'll remember we 
took a, a moment to look at this last week, where the Apostle Paul is talking about this human wisdom, and he's talking about how he came to the Corinthians with a message of hope and a message of life in which was inherent strength. He did not come with wisdom of words. He did not come with any fanfare that would have been attractive to the people to embrace the message that he brought. He spoke to them in fear and in trembling and with simplicity of speech. But it was the power of the cross. And you'll recall that all that is involved in the cross embraces the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the one who shed his blood so that our sins could be cleansed. He is the one who died in our place, took our punishment, was buried, and then rose again from the dead. And you look at this message of the cross that Paul brought, and he said, there's no power in me, there's no power in my speech, but there is power in the cross, and the cross is the wisdom of God. He now goes on to tell us this. This God, the true God, wants you to know Him. He wants you to know His mind. He wants you to know how He thinks. And and obviously we have to put into anthropomorphisms, uh, human ways of thinking, a, a means by which we can understand how a holy God would view us and how He would communicate with us. And so Paul goes on here in the second verse, or pardon me, second chapter, the sixth verse, to tell us this. However... And he's speaking now in contradiction to the, to the elements that had proceeded with the human wisdom uh, that, that he brought. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. Our God cares whether or not we know Him. He is interested in our understanding. He wants to open before us our minds so that we might know His mind. And how does He do it? 
He does it through revelation. He talks to us right here about the revelation that he has given through the apostles and the prophets that is a divine message that would not have come to us any other way. How would you and I have any way of knowing that there was a Redeemer who was sacrificed at the cross of Calvary for us, who died in our place to take our punishment, through whom and through Him alone can we find forgiveness of sins and eternal life? We would not think that way. It was divine wisdom. A divine message that communicated to us the realities of what Jesus Christ did for us. And quite frankly, had it not been for God revealing to us through His Word these realities of what Christ did for us, we would have no clue how to be saved. We would have no clue about the holiness of our God, His infinite power, His infinite knowledge, His goodness, His righteousness. We would just not know these things. Because this message that the Apostle Paul delivered was not only a divine message, but it was a message that transcended human understanding. Our wisdom is not all that hot. Do you understand that? I came across some things that show you... um, some of the folly of human wisdom. And I know that these things go back in history, but I think they kind of illustrate the point of what Paul is trying to get across here. Listen to these statements. Uh, Marshal Ferdinand Folk in 1911 made this statement. Airplanes are interesting toys, but they have no military value. Business Week in 1958 made this statement. With over 50 foreign cars already on sale here, the Japanese auto industry isn't likely to carve out a big slice of the U.S. market. How about this? Frank Knox, U.S. Secretary of the Navy, on December the 4th, 1941, three days later, you know what happened. Here's his quote. Whatever happens... The U.S. Navy is not going to be caught napping. There was an economist by the name of Irving Fisher in 1929. Now, that should ring a bell too. Some of you, more clearly than for others, some have studied this, but anyway. He said, stocks have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. Human wisdom doesn't really grasp reality all that well. You know what human wisdom would tell you and me? If we live lives that are good enough, God will accept us. If our good works outweigh our bad deeds, God will accept us. If I bow to the east and emulate the behavior of Muhammad, and bow five times every day, and pray toward Mecca, I hope Allah will receive me. Or I don't care if people understand what I say, 
as long as they give me the money to buy my fleet of Royal Rolls-Royce cars, which Rashnish had a whole bevy of them, had a stable full of them. You see, the human mind does not think God's thoughts. And God, in order for us to know Him, had to reveal revelation who He is and what He has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, in every other realm of life. And He did this so we would know Him. Now, I want you to notice something. And this is one of those areas where I have been guilty... And I would suspect that you have too. But let's correct our thinking on this. How many times have you heard somebody talking in the realm of what they believe heaven is going to be like, saying, well, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man those things that God has prepared for him, for them. Have you heard that in that context? What heaven is going to be like. How many of you have heard that? I'm trying to get some feedback here. Okay, you've heard that. It that statement has nothing to do with our heavenly destiny. It has everything to do with what God has already revealed to us in His wisdom. Look at the context of these verses. As you go down to verse 8, it says this. He's speaking of... Well, I I really have to begin in verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God... In a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I is not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now stop at this point and understand what he's saying is, The natural man, the wisdom of this age, does not tell us the truth about who the Lord is and and what Jesus Christ came to do. Those things are not known, except God reveals them. Thus, he goes on into the next verse to say this, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. These verses are not dealing with the glories of heaven. What they are dealing with is they are addressing man's inability to know and to understand God without his wisdom and divine revelation. Do you get it? Okay. Now from now on, when we quote that verse, let's quote it biblically. And let's quote it within context. God has revealed. And we must understand that. The message that has been revealed in ages past was a mystery. But now that mystery has been made known. Do you remember what we read in Ephesians, the third chapter? Let me go back and read these verses again very quickly. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery 
And then there's a, uh, an interjection. There, there are parentheses. And he says, about this mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. End of parentheses. Now he picks up again, dealing with the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Were you able to absorb that? You say, no. Okay, write this down. Write down Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. Read it for yourself. If you need more evidence of this, write down Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Here is what he says. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made, been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone, Wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. This is the revelation of the mystery. If that is not sufficient for you, write down Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me just stop and warn you about an error that you will hear from time to time. You will hear people talk about the Word of God and talk about a hidden mystery in the Word of God. And they present it in such a way as to make you believe that they have the key to that mystery. They know the deep, deep things of God. And they can take you where no other man has gone. Sounds like Star Trek. And it's as valuable spiritually as Star Trek was. And they can take you to these things. Let me tell you something. There are no mysteries that have not been revealed. There are things that God hid in ages past that were mysteries to the people yet to come, which included us. But those mysteries were revealed. And what were the mysteries? They focused on two primary elements. The first is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That was a mystery to everyone prior to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Abraham did not know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Moses did not know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. David, even though he wrote about the crucifixion, did not understand and know about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. They believed that God had given them a message of hope, and based upon the coming sacrifice 
of Christ, the Father could apply the benefits of that death, burial, and resurrection to Old Testament saints who believed God. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But the benefits of the full sacrifice of Christ did not accrue to them until after his ascension. The Old Testament saints didn't go to heaven. They went to paradise. This day you shall be with me in paradise. But when Christ ascended into heaven, he took paradise with him so that now the Apostle Paul writes interchangeably that when a person dies, they are in paradise, they are in heaven because now the sacrifice has been offered. That was a mystery that's now been revealed. And you and I would have never thought of that. It never would have occurred to us. But God revealed that mystery. And in addition, the second element is what we have now in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know what we have in Christ when we trust Him as our personal Savior? Cleansing from all sin. Prior to the sacrifice of Christ... Sin was covered. The blood of bulls and goats had to be offered over and over again to cover sins. But when Christ shed His blood at the cross of Calvary, He cleansed us from all our sin and He granted to us at the moment we trust Christ as Savior the very quality of eternal life that will continue forever. So that now we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have within us the life of God Himself. And the eternal life that we will enjoy forever has already begun. And that's why God's desire for us is that we be sanctified now. And when we see Him, we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. He tells me that I am completely accepted in Christ. Do I have access to the Father? Can I go to Him at any moment? Do I have to go through some other guy that wears a long robe and a backwards collar? I can go into the very presence and the throne room of God because I am accepted in the Beloved in the one who died on the cross for my sins, so that when the Father sees me walking into His throne room, He says, come on in, my child. You, you're perfect. You are clothed in the righteousness of my Son. He has declared us justified. No guilt. Now, you all know that that's only one side of the story. The other side is now as his sons. I have to deal with those sins that I still commit on a daily basis, but I will never be condemned for them. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. All of these benefits that accrue by virtue of our identification with Jesus Christ as our Savior have come to us by virtue 
of a revealed mystery so that no longer is there a mystery. Don't buy into anybody's nonsense that they have these deep understandings of God's Word that take them into a realm of mystery that only certain people can know. And by the way, isn't it interesting? You can only get to know them if you send them money. That, that's the key that opens the lock to all the mysteries. You hold up in front of them this book and you say the mysteries have been revealed. We have the truth, and that truth is in the person of Jesus Christ. Call it arrogant, call it whatever you want, but that's the truth. And apart from Christ, there is no hope. So by revelation, he has given us his thoughts. And then, by inspiration, he has seen to it that these thoughts have been communicated to us in an appropriate fashion. He did it through the apostles and the prophets. Notice how he says in verse 6, however, we speak wisdom. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom. And he's talking throughout this passage about a certain special group of individuals. A group of individuals whom God used to communicate His mind to us through the written Scriptures. And those are identified as the apostles and the prophets. I don't know if you remembered my reading this, but let me, let me find the passage here. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, speaking of that mystery that now is revealed, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. God moved in the lives of the apostles and prophets to write down the revelation that he gave so that we would have an inspired record of what God wanted us to know. If you look down at verse 11, here's how it all began to unfold. Through the Spirit of God, his thoughts were communicated. Look at verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Very, very simple. It sounds almost confusing, but it's very simple. Do you know how I know how people think? I'm a people. I know the way men think. And it's usually not very good. By the way, girls, you do not know how men think. This is a little sidelight. Will you let me go on this for a minute? You do not know how guys think. What you think is cute is enticing to guys. Now, not everything that you think is cute. But, I mean, a bow in your hair, that's cute. That's cute. A low-cut dress, not cute. High skirts, not cute. To guys, they're advertisements. Okay, how do I know? Because I'm a filthy, rotten, scumbag man. Saved by grace. That's it. By the way, I'm not just talking to the teens down here. Just so you all know. Women know how women think. What God is saying is this. Listen, you know how people think because you're people. How does... How do we know what God thinks? We know what God thinks because the Spirit of God knows Him perfectly, knows the Father perfectly, 
Thus, he can communicate the thoughts of the Father. Notice down there also in verse 13. These things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So he tells us that through the Spirit, God's thoughts are communicated. Through the Spirit, God's words are communicated. And here's the picture. Holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that the thoughts of God, which the Spirit knows perfectly, and the words of God, which the Spirit knows perfectly, carries the writers of Scripture along so that when they begin to pen the message that God has given them, they are penning the very Word of God, which now is inspired. The writers were not inspired, even though we will say that from time to time. They were carried along. Holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Men carried along. What they wrote was inspired so that in the original manuscripts of this book, it was the perfect revelation of God communicated to man inspired so that now the very message that we have is God's word delivered finally don't look for any other revelation don't look for a special message that God would give you by virtue of speaking in tongues or somebody's saying, oh, oh, wait, 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 I'm hearing from God right now. He's giving me a message. Send me $500 and I'll tell you that message. Listen, there are, there are hucksters out there that are just so deceptive, honestly. No. God has given us a message that is His Word that will stand forever. Listen to what is recorded for us in Jude. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Done. Once for all. And we've got it. Is that not cool? Is that not great to know that God has given us a message that he wants us to understand, which takes us to the final element of illumination. He wants us to know him through revelation that is recorded for us through inspiration and made understandable to us through Illumination. And so what he does is he enlightens the eyes of our understanding and he takes away what Paul wrote in, in first Corinthians, pardon me, uh, second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Did you ever ask yourself this question? Why is it that when you present the gospel to people, which makes so much sense, which is so clear, which is, is absolutely reasonable that God himself would pay our penalties so that we could be forgiven, why is it that people don't get it? People will look at you and they'll say, 
Huh? Or they'll say, oh, I, I can't, I can't buy into that. And by the way, that's most people. Why? God tells us. Satan has blinded the eyes of their understanding lest they would repent and come to faith in Christ. Why is it that you, if you have, understood what Jesus Christ did for you and accepted him as your Savior? There's one reason. The Spirit of God took away the satanic blindness and opened your eyes to the truth so that one day you said, that's it. Do you think you figured it out? Do you think you're smart enough to get it? No way. God's spirit took away the spiritual blindness that Satan embraces or or brings our way. And he convinces us that we are lost. We finally understand, you know what? If I don't have a savior, I'm on my way to hell. And I'm going to be there forever. See, I wouldn't naturally believe that because I'm a pretty good guy. Even though I'm a low down, dirty, rotten, scumbag man. I think I'm okay. And then the Lord says, no, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're lost. And then he tells me this. You can't please me on your own. What you need is for me to declare you innocent through justification. And the only way I'm going to do that is if you come to me through my son who died for you and rose again from the dead so that you would have eternal life. And all of a sudden we begin to understand and we say, now I get it. And do you know what happens when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? you begin to understand things that you never got before. I'm in Christ. That never made any sense to me. But now, by one spirit, have I been baptized into one body, the body of Christ, so that when the Father looks and he sees the Son, he sees me in the Son's righteousness. And he's given to me eternal life, and I will never perish. Neither will any man pluck me out of his hand. And I am sealed to the day of redemption, and I have become the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And now I read his word, and yes, there are still some things hard to understand. Peter even said that about Paul's writings. He says, there are some things that are hard to understand, but now I'm getting it. Now I see there has been an eternal plan It makes sense. Unbelievers don't get it. The natural man, verse 14, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. You know what the Lord does for us? He allows us to evaluate things now in the light of how he evaluates them. I don't have the freedom and the right to judge motives. I don't have the freedom and the right to judge people for things that they do unless the things that they do violate what God has already passed judgment on. And in that regard, I judge all things. That's why the church could judge the immoral man and have him removed. He... 
here's a man that's living an immoral life. They had to pass judgment. God had already judged that kind of a lifestyle, so they did that. Do I, do I have the right to judge a person if they lie? Yes. Do I have the right to judge a person if they cheat? Yes. Do I have a right to judge a person if they steal? Yes. Do I have a right to judge a person if they commit adultery? Yes. How many times do you hear somebody say, judge not that you be not judged? Well, there's truth to that, but that's in a very compact area. You're going to try to judge people's motives. You don't have the right to do that. Only God knows their heart. But if they commit a sin, you have the right to judge that sin. You can judge me when you see me sin and you can say, pastor, you're sinning. And you stand above judgment so long as you line up with what God has revealed in his word. And so there we are. God's given us his mind. And his mind wraps around the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Does this make sense? Did did you ever read that passage and say... I'm not quite sure what all that means. What I do know is this. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them who love him. Oh, heaven must be... No, 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 no. Has nothing to do with heaven. Has everything to do with understanding. We understand. We understand what this is about. We understand that when we participate in what we call the Lord's table... We partake of unleavened bread and of a cup that represents the shed blood of Christ, the unleavened bread representing the body of Christ. And today, as is our custom on the first Sunday of each month, we gather around this table to remember what Christ did for us and to remember him. Let me just share with you this thought. Some of you are our guests here today. You've come Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've been here on a number of occasions. You're not a member of our church. I'm going to tell you this. That is not at issue here. Membership's important. Membership has its privileges. really does. But that's not what we're dealing with. What we are dealing with is this. If you have personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're living in obedience with Him, we invite you to share these elements with us please feel free to partake as part of the body of Christ. If you have not trusted Christ as Savior, trust Him right now. The Bible tells us that as many as received Him, to them He gave power to become the children, the sons of God, even to those that believe on His name. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I am a sinner, and I turn away and I repent of my sin. And I embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the first act that you would ever do in light of that new birth in Christ would be to participate with the body of Christ in remembering Him. What a great day. Trust Him now. If you're here today and there's sin in your life and you're a believer, deal with that sin. Confess it. Forsake it. And you may have to make some restitution with other people. That needs to be done. But if you're not willing to do that, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. For this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So we're dealing with a very serious issue here. We remember Jesus. We remember what he's done for us. And if you can remember him as a believer in Christ, you participate with us. 
Gentlemen, would you come? And we're going to thank the Lord for the bread that represents the body of Christ that was sacrificed on Calvary's cross for us. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around this table, we do so to remember what our Savior did for us in sacrificing His body. He became a man to identify fully with fallen, sinful mankind. Yet He was without sin until our sin was placed upon Him on the cross. We thank You, Father, that in His sacrifice, our sin and its debt was paid for. His work was finished so that we can enjoy the blessings of eternal life through Him. Honor Yourself, we pray, as we remember our Savior. Amen.